0: So, um, excited to continue in the book of Joshua. We're in Joshua chapter 10. Today we're going to be in verse number 5 to verse number 8. But as, of course, you guys know I love to do, I'm going to give you a review um, to make sure. Yes, I know you're excited about the review. We want to make sure we know where we're going, right? We want to make sure we understand the principles and the concepts we're working through. So in our message last week, which was called From Peace to, well, two weeks ago, Peace to Persecution, um, we were studying the response of the remaining Canaanite kings to what had happened with the city of Gibeon. Gibeon had turned its heart to God. So they had shifted their loyalties away from their previous brothers, and now what happened, they'd actually made peace made peace with God. And because of that shifted loyalty, uh, we considered the response, which was to destroy them. And we considered that and compared it to the response that many times we experience as believers. When we shift our loyalties, right? We used to have these loyalties with people in, a, in the world, people that we, we lived and thought like, maybe in our families or our friends. And what happens is we get saved and there's a change in us. Our loyalty shifts from the world to God. And we see through this reaction here an uncanny similarity to the way many times the people that we used to call friends sometimes can react to us. And we saw three components to the similarity. First, considering the fact that shifting our loyalties alerted old allies. And what we noticed was the one, once word had gotten out of our conversion and what happened to us, there was a change in the dynamic of those previous relationships. And what happened was there was shared beliefs were upended Because there was now a new God-centered perspective. And this created a disconnect. And because of that disconnect, we saw our previous allies could be on edge. Maybe not wanting to be around us per se. Not uh, wanting to have words or have conversation or time with us. Shifting us from really being allies to actually adversaries. Which is remarkable. Some of us may have friends that we had prior to salvation, after getting saved, that are no longer really our friends. They Maybe we reach out to them and they don't. They don't respond. And it's all because of a new identity. We became something new. And what we also noticed was the fact that once we shift our loyalties to God, well, guess what? Our old old allies can become alienated. What I mean by that is this. Our common bond of carnal fulfillment, which is what we used to all seek, right? Fulfilling the desires of the flesh. That's where we come from. What we once shared no longer unites us. Now what happens because of our new loyalties to God there is a disconnect. There is a, a sense of them being alienated. And what happens is our old allies, what happens? They become fearful of the relationship we have as God with God. Because what happens? It's a perceived threat. It threatens what they believe to be the life that they want to live, right? They want to experience the joy of life. How many of us have lived wanting to experience the joys of life? Well, all the life has to offer. I'm gonna go sow my wild oats. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I know what it means, but I don't know why in the world they use that term. I don't know what even wild oats, I don't know. Anyhow, people are going to sow their wild oats. But you know what happens when they get through with all that reaping? They end up going, you know what? Those oats were not good for me. That wasn't really what I was, should have been seeking. And what happens is this perception of control. And the very idea of believing I'm going to control my future and my destiny becomes the very undoing of people. The very thing they should fear is their own control. And it's a matter of dependence upon God, which we're going to talk about today. It's that radical change in who we are. Because what happens, the world with its misguided view of the threat that God, that God uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Someone throw it in there if you would. Uh, whatever. The threat that they perceive, that's it. Perceive. You guys were not helpful at all. I was really <laughs> hoping so I was just going to go, bam, and just give it to me. I was like, that's not at all what it was working on. Um, but it angers old allies once we shift our loyalties. So we saw, first of all, there was this aspect of they were alerted, then they became feeling alienated, and guess what they did? It then made them angry. So there's a, a change. we saw this natural hostility towards God revealed in this. Because understand, if you're not friends with God, you're friends with the world. That's what the Bible tells us right there. It says the Bible says the two are enmity one of the other. They are on opposite ends of the spectrum. And what we saw was they gathered together as one to fight against God's people. But what I understand, all the giving nights had done, they had not created aggression towards their, towards their old allies, nothing like that. All they had done was make peace with God. And simply through this new relationship, this new allegiance with God and God's people, their old allies now want to destroy them only because of their identity. And it's so amazing how people become this way. And people who I used to tell you would be my best friends today, they don't answer my text. They don't respond to my calls. And it's, it's hurtful sometimes, sure. But at the same time, God has a purpose and a plan. And you know what? Not everybody's where they need to be. And you know what? God's using our job is to be consistent. Our job is to be faithful. Our job is to be loving. I'm not to judge that person. I'm supposed to love them and reach out to them. But what we see is the fact that they eventually, many times those people actually come against us, talk behind our backs potentially. And we see this. What happens? Because as our life changes, as we become more consecrated, we start to love God more and we start to walk more righteously. We start to become more faithful to the Lord. What does it do? Our life then has causes people who are not living right to see the reflection of your life starts to impact them and it starts to give them conviction of what it is that they're doing that they know they shouldn't be doing. They know in their own heart what they should and should not do. And when we start to do the right thing and we start living that life, there's an accountability issue. And what happens instead of going, you know what, I feel convicted and I'm going to change my life, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to point fingers at you and I'm going to start to attack you from behind. I'm going to try to disregard you in some way, shape, or form. And what we saw with the Gibeonites is the fact that, guess what, the attitude of of their allies was, listen, they must be dealt with. And when you and I start to stand for the Lord and really set our hearts on fire for God, I can promise you that there will be enemies that will rise up. Amen. And they will target us because we need to be dealt with. So we saw last week that aspect from peace, uh, from peace to persecution. But this week it's from persecution to peace. We start to see God working on our behalf as we continue in this portion of Joshua chapter number 10. Let's pray real quick for this. And then we'll jump into it. Lord, I thank you so much for the gift of your word. I thank you for each one that's here. Thank you, Lord, for those that are joining us online. Uh, All the way, my brother-in-law is joining us in India. And God, how praise the Lord that we have technology to be able to do what we do today. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you would uh, get a hold of this message, that you'd get a hold of this people, that you'd get a hold of this preacher. Uh, God, that I not uh, in any way adulterate the message. God, help me to just give what you have given. Lord, I pray that your word would speak clearly powerfully, Lord, that it would work in our lives and in our hearts to help us to see what it means to go from persecution to peace, whether that persecution is internal and it's personal. If it's something we're doing to ourselves, if it's an external attack, if it's a mental attack, God, if it's a physical attack, if it's a if it's a friend or a family member who's turned against us, if, if it's a betrayal, whatever it may be, God, it is a persecution. But Lord, what you're telling us today is you're going to show us how to go from persecution to peace. Amen. And God, I praise your holy name for your truth and what you will show us today. As we go into this, we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this is part one. This is going to be a two-part message. Joshua chapter 10, verses 5 through 8. Therefore, the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon, gathered themselves together and went up, they and all their hosts, and encamped before Gibeon and made war against it. Verse 6, And the men of Gibeon sent unto Joshua into the camp of Gilgal, saying, Slack not thy hand from thy servants. Come up to us quickly, and save us, and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites that dwell on the mountains are gathered together against us. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal. Notice that terminology, Joshua ascended from Gilgal. He and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. Verse 8, And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear them not, for I have delivered them into thine hand. There shall not a man of them stand Before thee. And so at this point, what we see is the Gibeonites, former allies, the Canaanite kings, they have come together with one unified purpose, which is to destroy their old friends. Now, last week we mentioned that the the king of Jerusalem called out. Hey, you know what? We need to gather together. And he was calling out to all the Amorites in the area. And what they did was say, hey, you know what? They're going to come together. What we're going to see is the fact that today they are going to be absolutely unified. Because what's happening is they see this change in the Gibeonites. They see it as an endangering their control and power over their kingdoms. That's what they see. And can I promise you, it's true. It is a big threat. Because this truce that was formed with God is a threat to those that do not walk with God. And what we're going to see today is an Old Testament picture of you and I, believers, the spiritual warfare that we face. From those who, by by their very nature, recognized by their very nature, have aligned themselves to the world. Right? We are born either into God's family or we're born through, through salvation, but we're born physically into Satan's family. That's who we are. We're children of disobedience, children of rebellion. And what happens is this new identity is going to make their old friends their enemies. And we see this conflict blurring. Verses 3 and 4, last week, we saw how that king of Jerusalem called out. And we saw these Amorite kings come together. What you realize is the fact that this is just the Amorites. This is just the ones in the immediate areas in the mountainous area. Verse 5 called for them to unify. And verse number 1, the first thing we're going to point out is our first point is unified. These folks are unified in their aggression. Verse 5. It says, therefore, the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Deuteronius, and the king of Eglon gathered themselves together and went up, they and all their hosts, and encamped before Gibeon and made war against it. They did not come to negotiate, to communicate. They come with one purpose and one purpose only, which is to bring destruction. That is going to be one of those things that we're going to recognize in this world. Do you notice so much destruction in the world and emotions and relationships in the society that we live in? We can see things degrading as we speak. Because you know what? The devil does not come here to build things up. Right. He comes here to destroy. He comes here to divide. What you'll find is you'll, uh, divisions are intensified in our world now than the more than they've ever been. If there's a slight division, boy, we're going to focus on that. We're going to talk about it and advertise it and describe And boy, it makes you know it's this monstrous divide to where people literally can sit side by side and go, I didn't know we even had a problem. But it turns out on TV, they say we do have a problem. So I guess I got a problem with you. I'm sorry. <laughs> right? It's, it's remarkable. But that's what our world is doing. And it focuses on dividing us and separating us. And it's this unified aggression. So these kings have come against them. These are therefore the kings of the Amorites. They're bringing a preemptive strike against Gibeon. So there's nothing going on. They are choosing to attack. They're making war against their their old allies. Notice, now, Gibeon is is just about here. Gilgal's just right over here. Now, Gilgal is also their enemy, but they're a different enemy. Because what you'll find is with Gibeon, Gibeon's never depended on God, really. They don't have a relationship with God. They've never done anything where God's had to come for them. But the Israelites, well, there's stories that have been heard, right? Rahab told them, hey, guess what? This whole place is jacked up because of y'all. They're freaked out. They're scared. These people are shaking in their boots. The Bible says that that no man had any courage left in him. So there's a story already. There's an established narrative that exists in regards to the Israelites. And what we have is these guys are going to go there. We're going to take a preemptive strike. We're going to pick somebody to fight. And they got two choices, Gibeon or Gilgal. Now, if you were them, (laughs) <laughs> you had one that had never trusted God, who just converted over and said, look, now we have this loyalty with God. And you have some that go, look, they're well established, man. These guys have walked with God. And guess what? God has rained down death by them. Who would you choose? Right? We would choose Gibeon. Absolutely we would choose Gibeon. Because, remember, the enemy's always going to look for the weakest opponent. Right? That's an important thing for us to remember. Praying upon the weakest target. Now, in our homes, that can be us. It can be our spouse. It can be our our thoughts of ourselves. It can be through our children. It can be through society. It can be through politics. It can be through whatever weakness we may have. Can I promise you that the devil's just looking for where there is a good place to hit? Because you could hit them at the strongest point and meet great opposition. Or you could look for the back door and try to slip in. And so we look at this enemy, and this enemy is going, you know, let's be smart about what we're going to do. These folks have limited experience trusting God. Now, many times, that's new believers. But can I tell you, it's not always new believers. There are a lot of people been saved for a long time that have never learned to depend upon God. They're still trusting in themselves. They're still leaning on their own understanding, their own strength. And so what happens, you've got these people that say, look, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to go out and I'm going to face adversity. But what's happened is they've always leaned kind of on their own understanding or their own personal strength, this this, uh, tendency um, to to trust in oneself. And what happens, what you'll find is people that have that attitude, traditionally they are under continual assault. Why? Because the enemy's not stupid. If you learn to be fortified by God, the Bible says, Submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He says, I can fortify them so that they have no problem, no worries. As we'll see, God's going to tell them, hey, listen, you don't have anything to fear. Just do the right thing. But it's those ones that don't trust God. They trust in themselves. There's the problem. And many times that describes us. Many times that describes us. We don't trust him when we should. And it's this lack of dependence that makes us an easy target. Must we walk with the Lord, man? It's His strength, not ours. We see in Scripture that the Bible warns us that the devil is going to come like a lion, right? In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because... Why must you be sober and vigilant? Sober is wide awake. Vigilant is never stopping. Because, this is your reason why, your adversary, your enemy, the devil, as a roaring lion, he says, Listen, he's going to come to you as a roaring lion. He's not a lion, but he's going to come like a lion, meaning he's going to have the same traits as a lion. He's going to hunt like a lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. And when a lion, if you've ever watched the Discovery Channel or something like that, or videos on YouTube, the lion doesn't run into the herd and just go, going after the biggest, toughest guy. No, he sits back and he circles watching the herd. He sits in the bush and he watches. Well, that, there's a young one there. He's straggling. Ooh, that one right there's got a limp. That's, there's the one, right? And that one there, who's, who, he's isolating himself. He's not even with the rest of the crowd. There's my target. And what does the devil do to people when they start to go through adversity? Separate. You know what? Yep. You know what you should do? You, going to church, today's not your day. Trust me. You need to stay home because I'm just telling you, you need rest, right? Your body just needs, you just need some sleep. That's what you need. That'll fix everything. And I know you're going to get up and read the Bible, but you know what? You have worn yourself out this week. That, you already know what it says. Don't worry about that. And God knows your heart. You don't need to even talk to him. You're fine in that little isolation, right? Because what you find with those lions is they don't have any mercy. They don't ever run up and go, you're so cute. Oh, my goodness. Look at you, buddy, buddy. Look at your little tail. You're just a, get on out of here. I've never seen that on the, on the Discovery Channel. <laughs> they always snatch him up by the neck and go, mm, Right? No mercy. No mercy. They have one concern. Fill their belly. They have a hunger, and they will fill it. And can I promise you that your adversary, he's looking for the weakness. If it's what you think of yourself, If it's what someone's told you that you believed, then it was a lie. A lie only has power if you believe it and trust it as truth. We empower the devil to destroy us because we don't trust God. And he comes, our enemy, with a hunger for one thing, destruction for people's lives. That's what he desires, and he is merciless. He doesn't go, oh, no, 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 you're having a bad day. I know you're tired. I know you're worn down. I know you're, you're struggling with some stuff. No. He looks at that opportunity and he pounces on it. Because you know why it came? John 10, 10, Jesus tells us himself, the thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and destroy. Right? There it is. That's his purpose. But then right after that, right, what does Jesus say? He says, this is the bad news. Here's the good news. Let me tell you, there's two realities in this post, or in this post. Yeah, Jesus is posting. (laughs) Put that on Facebook. Boom. Um, I am come that that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. You know what that's pointing to? That's pointing to the promised land and our spiritual walk with God. So Vera, in the very beginning, says this is what's coming against you. But guess what? I've come to give you something else. I've come to give you peace. So while that horrible, that horrible intention of Satan is a harsh reality that we see in there, there's that other reality as well. Which one will we claim? Which one will we live by? Will we live in constant fear of what the enemy's going to do, or will we walk by faith saying, Lord, you know what? There's no, nothing he can do to me. If I'm a born-again child of God, I am in the family of God, and I can never be removed. He is my Father, and that will never change. Because the devil will try to tell you that it's not true. False religion will tell you you can lose your salvation. But I'm telling you, man, you are sealed unto the day of redemption. God. Praise God. But what's interesting about that warning in 1 Peter 5, 8, is that it happens to be nestled in a part of Scripture where God's trying to encourage us. Yes. Notice this, verse, five, verse 6. 1 Peter 5, 6 says this humble, yourself, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due, due time. I gotta get some water, man. Y'all are wearing me out. Next verse. Casting all your care upon Him, yeah. for He careth for you. Amen. Complete dependence. Yeah. Next verse. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Verse nine. Listen. This is what he says. Whom resist? Don't fight. Resist steadfast in the faith. Listen, you come close to the Lord, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Everybody's got the same end, and we're all fighting the same battles. Verse 10, but the God of all grace, but God, right? The God of all grace who hath called us unto His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while. He says, listen, there's a purpose for what you're going through. Notice this, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. So when our adversary comes against us, it is ultimately our level of dependence in that attack that builds us. It allows us to become who it is God is calling us to be. It builds our faith. What does it say? Make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Will you be defeated by your circumstances? Will you rise because of God? You depend upon Him in it and you will become something more. Your faith will be stronger than it's ever been before. What does it tell us? Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. If you have any other Bible, it's going to say, I can do all things through Christ, who strengtheneth me. That's not what it means. It's not about a supernatural power that God goes, I'm going to let you go through everything and you won't, oh, you're Superman. No. What he's saying, which, he's saying, it's your adversity. It's me in the presence of your adversity that will build your faith. Which is key. One word. One word. Changes the meaning of scripture. And you know how the devil discourages us? By attacking God's word. How did he start in Genesis 3? Surely hath God said. Very first thing he did, attack God's word. And so we see this aspect of adversity. And it's through his presence in the midst of our trials. And his faithful guidance and support that strengthens our faith. Listen, Romans 5, verses 2 through 4. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations. Notice, knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience, experience and experience hope. Tribulation would be the gateway to hope. God works through tribulation. He's with us in the midst of the storm. And so what happens if our struggles and challenges don't result in greater faith, what it reveals to us is that we're not depending upon God in them. What we're doing is we're turning to ourselves. We're depending upon our own strength, which makes us ripe for more attacks. There's a system here. There's a pattern here that we can recognize, that we can can subvert. Listen, if that's you today, if you're ripe for attacks You may have been saved for 50 years, but you just don't know how to really trust God. When adversity comes, instead of reacting, going, you know what, I'm going to get on my knees. You go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to react to my emotions. I'm going to this, I'm going to that, whatever it is. We're going to either turn to Him or we're going to turn to ourselves. The Gibeonites, man, listen, they don't have any experience doing this. (laughs) They're not sure, right? But if you consider what Peter said to us in 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Amen. In order to cast, you must let go. Amen. Right. You don't hand your cares. You cast your cares. Yes. You must let it go. Yes. Most of us want to go and lay them at the altar. God says, no, no, no. Why don't you throw them at the altar? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just throw them and run away. Let me, let me fight your battle for you. As long as we want to fight our battles trusting in ourselves, God will let us. We saw AI, right? What happens? The first time they went, they got whopped, right? So we saw the results of trusting in themselves. They learned that truly to be victorious they had to find it through God. We see in Scripture time and time again how God works through individuals different people, different uh, Old Testament pictures. We look at Noah Joseph, Moses, Joshua, David deliverers. God used these men to do great works. His power worked through them. They become conduits of the power of God. Mm-hmm. And see in our day and age. God works through believers. God works through churches. He works through people who are just faithful to say. You know what? I will stand for what's right. Yeah. God can do mighty work through people. Through individuals. But also through churches. That we would pray together. Man the worship today was awesome. Yeah. Amen. Some of the best I think we've ever experienced. Yeah. And you know what happens? It's by way of adversity. It brings us to our hearts broken before God. Yeah. And you know, when we pray for one another, when we support one another, when we point each other to the Word of God, man, now here we become a conduit for God's power. And the ministry we've been given is not just to the saved, it's to the unsaved. We can get so caught up in our own distractions of what we're going through that we lose sight of why we're here. And the devil sits back and goes, that worked. That worked. Boy, they used to be a witness. They're not anymore. Well, (laughs) let's just try to keep them off track even if whatever adversity he may throw our way. Remember, we're not here for us. We're near for him. Our lives are supposed to touch other lives. In Ephesians 4, Paul's talking to us about how the church should function. He says this in verse 15. But speaking the truth in love. And in so, do, in so doing, the church may grow up into him, right? Grow up into him means take on the likeness in all things. Which, who is the him? Which is the head, even Christ. We should be functioning as Christ would function. We would love as God loves. We would care as God cares. We would forgive as God forgives. We would be literally the hands and feet of Christ. That's a phrase we hear and we, ah, it sounds cute, but that's what we're supposed to be. The way we speak should be what God would say. The way we reach out should be the way that God would reach out. If He were here, what would He do? And we consider the challenges that people are dealing with today, whether they be physical, emotional, or spiritual. The church must be poised to meet the need. As individuals, we must be poised to meet the need. There are people that are going through it right now. We must be willing to help them where they are. And what we see in Gilgal, where the Israelites are, Listen, what we see in them is a picture of believers who experienced in walking with God. They've seen God do miracles. They've walked with God. They're established in their faith. And the Gibeonites, when they look at their enemies, what do they do? Instead of trusting in themselves. Here we go. What a great example. Instead of trusting themselves, they will humbly reach out to their new allies, forsaking their prideful nature. Number two, asking for help. Notice this, the men of Gibeon sent unto Joshua to the camp at Gilgal saying, slack not thy hand from from thy servants, come up to us quickly and save us and help us for all the kings of the Amorites that dwell in the mountains are gathered together against us. We are in big trouble. Now, it's their willingness to humbly call out, to admit their weakness that we will ultimately see victory will come. But I want you to notice that as soon as they recognize the threat, as soon as they see what's going, they don't test the waters, they don't send out scouts, they don't establish a battle plan, they don't negotiate with their enemies, they don't formulate any type of plan. As soon as the threat appears, what do they do? They vehemently call out to Joshua for help. What an awesome picture. It says verse 6 and the men of Gibeon sent unto Joshua to the camp at Gilgal saying slack not thy hand from thy servants come up to us notice this quickly and save us and help us man we are vehement for all the kings of the Amorites that dwell in the mountains are gathered together against us so they first recognize their threat then secondly they take it seriously and third what do they do they turn to God Amen. represented in Joshua and the Israelites and can I tell you, listen, when this pattern that we see that they are doing, this is the very pattern that we should be applying every day because threats are going to come against us. This is the Gibeonites' very first time to rely on God. They can either turn to Him and rely on Him or they could say, yeah, listen, because we know about them, right? They could say, well, listen, hey, aren't we a, we're a great city? Oh, we're a royal city. Did you hear? We have, we have a, an army of mighty men. We're powerful why are all those kings so scared of them? Because they are a force to be reckoned with. So, could they not look at one another and go, We could take them. Have you seen our army? Those guys are a bunch of chumps. They live in the mountains. You know how the mountain guys are. We can take them, right? But we don't see that. There's no sense of them trusting in themselves. They see what's ahead of them, and they bow down their knee and cry out for help. And it's a picture of humility, a picture of willingness to say, "You know what? I I don't have this." So many times, when challenges come our way, we don't ask for help. We isolate. We get draw into ourselves. We search our hearts. We work on us instead of saying, you know what? Reach out to my brother and my sister. Say, you know what? I'm struggling. I know I'm supposed to be strong, but I'm not strong today. Today I'm broken. Would you just pray with me? Would you be there for me? See, our pride wants us to stay quiet. Our pride wants to display to the world that we got everything under control. And it's a lie because none of us do. We're all a mess. I see right through it. You're all a mess. I can see it. <laughs> we all are. You know, it ain't Facebook, man. It needs to be Heartbook, right? If it was Heartbook, it'd be such a different story because we'd open up to each other. That was one of the things I loved about the men's camping trip because one of the things we talked about on, you know, on Thursday night, we sat around the fire and I asked them, I said, you know what, share your testimony, what God's done in your life. And man, we heard all these amazing testimonies of God's work. And I told him in preparation, I said, but Friday night, we're going to talk about something different. I want you to come and I want you to tell me where you have had your greatest encouragement, where God's really just shown up for you. But I want you to follow that up by telling me what currently is your greatest discouragement. Where are you struggling? And man, I'm telling you what, these men can attest. It was humility. Men doing exactly what we see here. You know what? I'm struggling. I got this. I got that. Men crying with one another, praying together. Listen, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to support one another because guess what? The enemy is never in your home, they're never in your church, they're never at your work. They're outside trying to find a way to use the situation that you're in to destroy you, to destroy your testimony, to destroy your family because we are a threat. If you are a born-again child of God, you have a testimony, and your testimony is a threat to the kingdom of darkness. And if you will shine, you can shake those kingdoms. Or we can be intimidated by them, and we can trust in ourselves and be overwhelmed and defeated. But see, God gives us a choice. You can say, hey, you know what? I can do this. And we know how that ends up. How many of us have dealt with it on our own? Uh, nothing but regret but boy if we turn to God if we just turn to God what does scripture implore us to do Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding boy if that was written on the mirror every morning In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Let God direct you, not what you think you need, not what you feel dissatisfied in your life, not what's frustrating you. You say, Lord, you know what? You show me what to do, putting our faith in God instead of ourselves. And we cry out to God for deliverance. Uh, Psalm 34, 17 through 19 says this, The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and deliver them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. That's someone who's has a repentant heart. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Amen. All. The same God is on the throne today. It's not through our personal strength that we'll experience victory. It's not that at all. It's on the contrary. It's through our weakness. I know we've heard this before, 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10. Paul, speaking of that thorn in the flesh, that thing that was besetting him, he says, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. Verse 9, Then he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I can pretty much assure you guys that that probably wasn't something, it was just like a momentarily. He didn't just go, You know what? Well, now I got it, and I'm good. I love infirmities. This is terrible. This, all this stuff I'm going through is so awesome. I love it. <laughs> No, I bet it was a process yeah. of learning how to adapt. Verse 10, Therefore I take pleasure in my infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distress, distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. So though we're very familiar with this, I think it's really important that you just hear this part right here. My grace is sufficient for thee. God saying, listen, you don't need anything else but me. That's right. Right. Amen. If that's all we took today. Praise God. Mm -hmm. But then he follows it up with this little ditty, right? He says this, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Do we embrace God in our adversity or do we withdraw? Many of us are guilty of withdrawing. It's not the answer. That's falling prey to the enemy. We're opening a door for our own destruction. What God's telling us is the greater our dependence upon him, the more powerfully he'll work in and through our lives. And it's that kind of dependence that we see modeled in the Gibeonites. They're crying out, man. Immediately they call out for help. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us, which brings us to Joshua's faithful response, our third point. Verse 7 says this, Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war, with him and all the mighty men of valor. As soon as Joshua hears their request, notice this, as soon as they hear the request, they're on the way to rescue their newest allies. Now, they realize that the commitment that they made was before the Lord. It meant something. They were going to keep that commitment. Their accountability that drives them to do what they're going to do is an accountability to God. There's no discussion of whether or not these men are deserving. They don't evaluate the contribution that the Gibeonites have made so far. They don't go to them and say, listen, let's investigate the level of their commitment to God before we uh, go do anything. No. What you see is they just go. And that's how it should be. Because you realize that's how God functions with us. He just goes. He doesn't come based upon our worth. Because guess what? None of us, He wouldn't come for any of us. Because none of us are worth it. Every one of us is misfits. Every one of us is misguided. Every one of us is a rebellious by nature. He comes to us in our moments of greatest failure. Many of us are saved today because He came to you when you were at your lowest, most broken moment. If He'd evaluated your worth and what you were going to bring to the table to that point in time, you'd have gone, oh, no, 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 no. This is a waste of effort. But you know, it's not what many times we do? We evaluate people whether or not they deserve it or not. Listen God comes to us in our deepest valleys. Psalm 136:23 20, says this, who remembered us in our low estate. For his mercy endureth forever. Amen. Remembered us in our low estate at your lowest low. Amen. The love of God, the long suffering of God. Joshua by no coincidence is picturing the response of our Lord when he goes. But see, the world that we live in, we tend to evaluate. We look at an individual and we decide if we should respond. Is it worth it? Is it a good investment? See, but God does not qualify. He simply comes to the rescue. That's what he does. He just comes and that should be our heart as well. 1 John 3, verse 17 through 18 says this, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother hath need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion for him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Because it's wonderful to say, yeah, brother, I'm going to pray for you. Man, I'm telling you, I've been guilty of it myself to say I'm going to pray for somebody and forget to pray for him. So you know what I do? If I tell you I'm going to pray for you, I'm going to pray right then as soon as I'm like I'm, I'm going to pray for you I'm like put my phone down Lord I'm going to talk to you right now because otherwise guess what I'm, I'm a knucklehead I will forget you know but we want to be accountable to the Lord man. let's stand for our brothers let's do the right thing let's be there for them but not just in word but in deed if there's a need man if you can fill it meet it you have a brother or sister who's struggling especially man they're fighting with something it's sin and they're willing to humble themselves and come to you oh my word How can we not rise? How can we not ascend and come to their assistance? In doing so, we model our Savior who said this in Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And notice the ministry that he's talking about. To give his life a ransom for many. Sacrificial love. That's who we're supposed to be. This life is not about us. We know this. But see, it should be about our sacrifice. This church should be about our sacrifice. There are broken people. The reason why it says a sign, on the sign, a place of restoration, and many of us know and we can attest that we came to this place broken and God lovingly restored us through his word. And see, there are people like us out all around us. And there are people that are fighting the same many that we're fighting. And as these people, if they're willing to open their mouths, if they're willing to humble themselves and ask for help, we must be willing to help them in any way, shape, or form. God did this. And he says in that, when he says, a ransom for many. Not because humanity deserved it. But because of his sacrificial love. And see, it's his love that should drive us. It should be God's love that drives us to do what we would not otherwise do. I think about the Malawi Project, and it's so beautiful to see how people contributed and, and gave and wanted to give more. And It's like, you know, I could use this, but you know they can use it more than I could. And there was sacrificial giving involved, and it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it's on the way, by the way. Praise God. It's in, it's in the ocean. Lord willing, it'll just get there beautiful. Um, but then in response, right? Response to the faithfulness of God's people, what happens is, and number, our fourth point is this. When Joshua responds... And he does what he should do. And he responds with that faithfulness. We see here that God will reassure or will assure the victory. Verse 8 says this. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear them not, for I have delivered them into thine hand. There shall not a man of them stand before thee. Here God repeats a promise that he had given to Joshua. Remember, back before they got into the promised land, they never crossed the Jordan yet. What did he tell them back in Joshua 1.5? There shall not a man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was, Mo- as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Okay, so only this time, notice there's a difference. That was a promise just to the Israelites. But guess who also is now covered by that promise? The Gibeonites. What a picture. Promises that were for the Jews, including the Gentile. The protection of God, reaching out to a people that are undeserving. Hello. Now this promise. Applied to them. And think about this, man. In this passage, they picture Gentile salvation. It's a beautiful thing. But pointing us to the fact that, listen, there are Old Testament promises that apply to our lives. Listen to Deuteronomy 20, verse 4. For the Lord your God is He that goeth with you to fight for for you against your enemies to save you. Now, though this is not written to the church age, this is not written to us. This is an Old Testament promise. If we look at this, we can apply it. If we align it with the promises that God's given us, and we know the character of God and it has not changed. He's the same God. Notice this in Hebrews 13 verses 5 through 6. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will fear, I will not fear what man shall do unto me. John 16, 33. These things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. And in the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He says, listen, victory. i told Joshua that there's going to be victory. And I'm telling you the same thing. You're my child that I will fight for you. And the battle that you're fighting has already been won. So how in the world do you stand defeated for a victory that you are going to win? Because you're believing a lie from the enemy. Through repeating his promise, God is informing and reassuring Joshua that he's doing the right thing. For you see, God's will always aligns with God's word. Let me say that one more time. God's will. Always aligns with God's word, reassuring him, strengthening him. And so, as Joshua and the Israelites commit themselves to these Gibeonites, who just not too long ago were lying to them, who tricked them and fooled them, you know what? They're willing now to lay down their lives for these very same men. And because of their commitment to what they told God they would do, God repeats his promise of victory. All because of their commitment. And when you and I are committed to standing against evil, when we're committed to supporting those that are dealing with whatever struggle it may be, emotional, physical, or spiritual, you know what we must do? We must turn to God's Word. We must turn to His promises. Put our faith in Him. Faith in what He's told us, who we are, and what He will do on our behalf. Thinking of and understanding the fact that, listen, God's promises never change. God, if He makes a promise, He fulfills it. Every one of us are living testaments to that. And the forces of evil, listen, that oppose, God, that oppose God, that oppose God's work and God's people, can I promise you that they are unified in their aggression right now. Go on the internet. There's a unified affront against all that is holy. Everything. With one purpose. One purpose. Unified. Which is to destroy the testimony of the church And individual believers. Because this world, as it goes further into darkness, if it sees light, it might get some hope. His goal is to keep them hopeless. Why is youth suicide at an all time high? Mm -hmm. Because there's no hope. Right? That's what the world tells them there's no hope. The only solution is to escape. Mm -hmm. To hell? What a lie what a lie young people today are under an absolute assault they need to see Christians that stand consistently for the book for righteousness for holiness for faithfulness that live and respond to people's needs that display the love of Christ to this broken and hurting world but we get so wrapped up in ourselves that we lose sight of what we're here to do and the person right beside us is hopeless and we don't even realize it because we're so consumed with ourselves listen you're already saved man Live the victory. Live the victory. There is no defeat for our future. It does not work. It doesn't exist. Don't believe the lie. And as we face the spiritual warfare that we all going to face, we have, must have the willingness to swallow our pride when we find ourselves in trouble and ask for help. Because you know that's why we're supposed to be. That's the body, that's why we exist. We bear one another's burdens. We help one another. We care for one another. It's so important. Not six months down the road when you're beaten down and exhausted and worn out and you've tried everything you can in your flesh to defeat what you're going through. No. How about right away? These giving nights show us a beautiful picture of as soon as the adversity comes, help us, save us all. Hey, man, I'm telling you, if you've got something big going on in your life and you're struggling with it and you're carrying it right now, bring it to a brother or sister. Open your heart. Lay it out there and let us support you and help you. We're stronger together than we are divided. Always, always the case. Ask for help. Put on our fate in hands, in the hands of God. And when our brother or sister musters up the willingness to to ask for help, it's imperative that we have a faithful response. We come to them with a heart of restoration, right? A heart of restoration of compassion and self-sacrifice, not judgment. There are too many churches in this country that when someone is broken, the reason they don't open their mouth is because they know they'll become a topic of conversation in the church. They'll be judged. They'll be isolated in the very place that they're supposed to be healed. What a travesty. But the devil's been very crafty at working his way into the house of God. People think that the devil spends his time in pool halls and strip clubs. No, he's in churches everywhere. Right. We cannot open the door to let him in here. And the last thing, point them to the promises where God will assure the victory. And you will know we'll see next week. We'll see that God keeps his promises, right? God loves his people. And so I can tell you, if you're experiencing spiritual persecution right now, whether it's internal or external, whatever it may be, can I promise you that, listen, in Christ there is peace. He tells us in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Listen, it's for us. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. If you are ready to go from persecution peace. to peace, Amen. Tur- turn to God. Amen. Listen, turn to God. We can do it today. That process can begin today. Amen. It takes humility. It takes it takes personal sacrifice, a willingness to, to lay out the truth. Oh, but man, your brothers and sisters, I can promise you there are people in this room that are ready, willing, and able lift you up Mm -hmm. don't let your pride keep you silent because the devil will pounce because pride divides pride isolates pride is the root of all sin it's the thing that brought Satan brought Lucifer down and it's our weak point swallow your pride be honest with your brothers and sisters. Amen. Let's fortify one another because we're already promised the victory. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, for the truth that you have displayed through this Old Testament picture for us. I pray, God, that you'd help us to have ears to hear, that, Lord, we might apply what it is that we've heard. I ask, God, that you'd help us to be ministers, every member a minister, that we would minister to those that are broken. Help them. Heal them, restore them through your word. Help us, Lord, to be a conduit for the power of God working in the world today. With their heads bowed and eyes closed. Listen, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, right now, I am dealing with some discouragement. Right now. I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand real quick. And I'm not going to call you out or point you out. But I just say, look, you know, what, Pastor, pray for me. I'm dealing with some discouragement in my life in one way, shape, or form. Amen, 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 amen. Almost every hand. God, I pray and I thank you for my brothers and sisters' honesty. I thank you, Lord, for what you're showing us through your word. God, would you please let this church be the very place that it's designed to be, a place of restoration. God, would you heal the broken would you encourage the discouraged would you give hope to the hopeless through the power of almighty God and the strength of your word I pray for my brothers and sisters Lord help us father to be willing to open ourselves up to to rely on you and to turn to you in the midst of adversity and for those that may be here today and you say I don't know where I stand with God I don't know that I'm necessarily saved there are a lot of people that have been in church for many many years There are lost people all over this country that are religious, that are going to hell and they have no clue. They believe they've got a relationship with God because they sit in church, because somebody prayed over them when they were a child, because they got baptized. But can I promise you this? If you've never personally given your heart to God, you are not saved. Salvation is simply a matter of turning from the world and turning to God. Repent of this world and turn to the love of God. And if you're here today and you've never done that, You have that opportunity today. He is calling you. If you are struggling, you've maybe believed you've been saved all your life, but you realize that whatever's going on in my life today, there's no way. There's no way. I'm going to ask you to turn to him today because he is the solution to every problem you've ever had. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, you have a doubt in your heart. You've never truly done it. Never just given him yourself. You never truly surrendered. You have that opportunity today. So, their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, watching online, watching recorded, I want you to repeat after me. There's no magic in the prayer, and there's no ceremony involved. It's just a broken heart calling out to a loving God who's ready to heal you. Repeat after me in your heart and mind Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And Lord, I'm struggling right now. I'm so sorry. For how I've failed you. But I believe you love me in spite of myself. Incredibly, you died on the cross for my sins. And you love me. Right now, in the best way I know how, I am crying out to you with a broken heart, a humble heart, a repentant heart. I turn from this world and I turn to you as the only solution. I trust in you. I put my faith in you, in your death, in your burial, in your resurrection. Lord, would you save my soul and give me a home in heaven. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.